Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. The Shepherd's Crook exists to provide care, counsel, and resources for pastors. You can get more information at theshepherdscrook.co. My name is Jared Sparks, and I'm a pastor coming alongside other pastors, reminding them of the chief pastor. Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. I'm excited to interview a man that I have learned from over the years, from his book that he wrote, the sermons that he's preached, and I've just got to follow him along, I don't know, for a decade or so, and uh, I get to talk to J.R. Vassar today. J.R., how you doing, man? Good, good. Thanks, Jared. Thanks for letting me be a part of this. Absolutely. Well, let's pray, and then i got a bunch of questions for you. We'll see where the Lord leads. Okay. Father, I thank you for a friend and a brother with J.R., and God, I'm thankful for this opportunity that I have just to listen and learn from a man that I've learned from and admired. And so I thank you for his life, for his family. And uh, Lord, I just thank you that he's uh, continuing on in ministry, that he's, you've given him courage to endure and to endure faithfully. And I just thank you for your love for him and your commitment to him and, and this opportunity that we have to talk as brothers and as pastors. And so I just trust you're going to lead. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So for people who are not familiar with you, would you go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself, your family, and then what it is that you do? Sure. Uh, married to uh, Ginger. We've been married. I always say she's the spice of my life. We've been married for 25 years this next month. And I uh, got four kids, ages 20 down to three. Uh, the three-year-old was a little, a little bit of a surprise, if you will. Uh, yeah. But keeping me young and engaged, um, active. Uh, we, uh, spent, uh, some time in Rockwall, Texas as a teaching pastor at Lake Point Church. From there, went on to New York City where we planted Apostles Church there. And, uh, about, uh, six years ago, about seven years ago, moved back, uh, to the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And, and then shortly after that, took on a role here as lead pastor at Church at the Cross in Grapevine, which ironically is the church I attended in high school. Oh, wow. Memorial Baptist Church. And uh, this is the church where I started attending when I was a junior in high school. I just moved to Grapevine and uh, surrendered to the ministry here, preached my first sermon here, was hired right out of high school as a student ministry intern and had my first ministry job here. And uh, we have actually had some, uh, when I first came on, we had some guys on our elder team that were there the night I preached my first sermon. Oh, and, wow. Yeah, and told me basically, you know, you've really not improved that much. So uh, <laughs> it's nice to have guys that aren't yes men that will just tell you the truth, you know? <laughs> yeah, but so that's that's kind of our story and, and, uh, and what we're doing. And uh, we love uh, being back here in, in Texas in the land of the SUV and the free refill. Uh, it's, been, uh, it's been a good transition back. And there's something about Texas. I've got to spend a little bit of time down there. And, you know, you meet people from Texas and you guys always brag about it and talk about it. And, and so you visit and then you realize, you know what, it is pretty great. My sister lived in Plano. So she just moved back to Missouri, oh. Plano for a couple of years and, and really loved it down there. But uh, anyways, I got to interview, I think, a mutual friend of ours, Neil McClendon, a while back. And we, oh, we yeah. Yeah, he's He's a, he's a great guy and really he's, you know, even helped with the shepherd's crook and doing, doing some stuff. He's, he's been great, but uh, another Texas guy, but you guys are, you guys are great down there in the, the, the land of the free. We're in Illinois and uh, we got a lot of people admiring Texas right now for sure. Lots uh, of moving here. That's for, that's for certain. Yeah. So to timestamp this podcast a little bit, we're in the middle of the coronavirus. And so um, it's, it's unique time. And in Illinois, if you've been following at all, we're one of the four or five States that, 
are still in lockdown, still wearing masks in public or supposed to anyways. And it's just pretty, pretty wild. So yeah, we got our attention turned to states like yours, but uh, okay. So we got a lot of young listeners and guys that are really trying to navigate a call into ministry. And I've, from talking with different people, some pastors who've been pastoring for 20 years can remember the day that they were called into ministry. I mean, it was like this lightning bolt, charismatic experience almost, where they just knew that they knew that they knew God's calling me to this. And then other guys, after years of people just pounding into them, we see this call in your life, you're gifted to this. They finally, you know, quote unquote, surrendered to a call to ministry. So you said you're pretty young when you're called into ministry. Would you tell us about that internal and external process into ministry for you? Yeah, so I, yeah, I was 17 years old and uh, I, I, it wasn't a, it wasn't like a, it wasn't like a lightning bolt or anything like that. Um, it wasn't some radical straight conversion. It was just a slow warming to the scripture and a slow warming to people. And I think that's kind of what it comes down to is, uh, to be honest, this is going to sound strange. You might not even, you might not even know who this is, but, uh, Carmen, the, uh, oh, yeah. Christian artist, Carmen actually played a significant part in my, in my call, if you want to call it to ministry. JR, I'm sorry to interrupt on a zoom call, but already you've, re you've referenced, um, um, ginger spice and yeah. your wife. And now you're talking about karma. Yes. I'm 40. Carmen, Carmen. And yes. so, so if you would please sing your favorite Carmen song, we would all appreciate it. Well, I could, I could break off Witch's Invitation and just completely uh, mesmerize you. Uh, but I was, you know, they had these uh, concerts at Six Flags Over Texas, and he was giving a concert. We went with our student ministry, and the guy just was quoting the Bible nonstop. And I was just like, I don't know the Bible like this. And so I started just reading the Bible. And the more I read the Bible, uh, the more my heart was warm towards the Lord. And the more I started to sense, I, I really want to give my life to teaching this, this book. And so when I was a senior in high school, I started a Bible study at my, at my school and just got really involved in trying to uh, talk about the Lord with people. And uh, so it wasn't like a big, you know, like aha moment. It was more just this, this uh, simmering that was happening in my heart. And then that, you know, internally that was going on. And then externally, I do think that's a really critical thing. You know, it was the spirit spoke to the church in Acts 13 and said, set apart from me, Barnabas and Saul to the work that mm. called them. Yeah. And so that call came through the, af the affirming voices of the church. It wasn't even like Barnabas and Saul said, Hey, here's what we're going to do. But the spirit spoke to the church. And I think there must be the affirmation of the church to say, we do sense in you the, the, the character, the calling, the competencies um, not in perfection, but certainly uh, we see those things growing, developing in you, and we we sense the Lord's call upon your life. And so, you know, here at this church, when I was a 17-year-old, we had a pastor that just affirmed that in me and wow. actually gave me opportunities. So I was a senior in high school. He let me preach my first sermon here at this church, and it was so bad. I was quoting scripture. I didn't even know a scripture. I just thought it was some cool saying I heard somewhere. I didn't really know that without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. I didn't even know that was a Bible verse. Oh, I just wow. say it once and quoted it in my sermon. And so I didn't know what I was doing, but I preached the crucifixion and people came to faith and friends surrendered to the ministry. And, hmm. and I just had a sense of the Lord's joy in communicating his word and 
that was that external affirmation. Um, and then as we've gone along, people have just, you know, you, you get that call confirmed as you see the fruit of your ministry and things like that. So mm-hmm. that's like for me. It's fantastic. Now for you, leaving the church that you were called into ministry and you were mentored in, and then after several years you came back, was it now pastoring people that mentored you? What was that like? Was that, I know we're kind of chronologically getting out of, getting out of order here a little bit, but what was that like? Because they saw you when you were young, saw you growing up. Uh, was yeah. that a difficult transition or was that, you know, just really natural? It, it wasn't difficult for two reasons. One, I, I, it wasn't like I grew up here uh, as a little kid. I was here when I, when I was a junior in high school, I moved to Grapevine. Okay. So I was an older kid. And then, um, you know, I was here for my junior year, my, my senior year. And then uh, my freshman and sophomore year, I bounced in and out here um, helping out with stuff. But so that's one thing is I was an older kid when I was here. But the second thing, there's just been a, there was a ton of turnover in the 20 years when I was gone. Okay. A lot of folks left. A lot of folks came. Uh, they've been, you know, the, the guy that pastored when I was here, he left the church and the guy came in, uh, he pastored. And so there's been enough turnover that there's a small remnant of people that are still here that were here when I was a, a kid. And um, it's funny. They always remember things about me a little differently than they really happened. Okay. <laughs> like you actually think higher of me than you should. Uh, I was not that great. Um, so let's, let's be careful about revisionist history. <laughs> yeah. Right. That's so cool. It's, it's neat to see God do that and piece that together because, you know, a lot of times in, in ministry, people grow up in situations that you know, were less than favorable. And that's my story. I grew up in a church that ended up imploding and so there hasn't been those relationships that have, have sustained over the years. So to see you in that is pretty, that's pretty special. And I would say probably pretty unique. Um, very, yeah, very cool. It's been, it's been remarkable. I mean, it's, uh, the people here have just been uh, just incredibly kind and have responded well to the things that, that our leadership's done here. And it's, it's been a great, great time. Man, that's great. Okay. So I got into listening to, when I was like in the mid two thousands, right out of college, went to school down in, in, in Tennessee, started listening to Acts 29 guys and wanted, it was just a dime a dozen kind of guy. I felt called into ministry and wanted to plant a church. So I went and we planted a church at 24. And when I was 24 years old with a group of disgruntled people, and then that church ended up merging with another church. And then there's stints of ministry that were two and a half, three years. Uh, and, and then finally leading up to the church that we've been a part of now going on five years. And, um, I know with church planting, we planted another church. We're part of the Sojourn Network and part of NAM, North American Mission Board. And it's through blood, sweat, and tears, God has been so kind and gracious to us to be able to start in a healthy way with a plurality of elders. And it's just been so great. Uh, You've been through church planting. You went and planted in New York City. You did that whole parachute thing where you didn't plant with a plurality of elders. You didn't plant with a team. But I've seen so many pastors whose heart has been tied to the work that God allowed them to do. And you went up there, planted a church, were there for however long you were there, and then you left. And from afar, I was able to watch and admire the fact that you, did, you, saw a, you saw a difference between yourself as a man before the Lord and yourself as a pastor. There was a, there was a line there of, okay, I, I am not Apostles Church. I'm not the church that I planted. But would you kind of walk us through the process? Because I think a lot of guys, when they're we're praying about transitioning in ministry or wrestling through different different things about identity, 
they get their identities intricately woven into the work that God's called them to do. And it, and it causes so many problems down the road. I mean, immediate problems, but down the road as well. So how did you come to the place after planting and being a part of ministry in New York and seeing God do amazing things? How did you come to that point of saying, okay, I, I got to move on. The time is right. Yeah, that's a really good question. So we were there for nine years and uh, we d- man, we didn't know what we were doing. We, um, we did parachute in. It was me and my wife and we had two kids at the time. And those two kids were five and 17 months old. They could do nothing for the church. I tried to teach them how to work QuickBooks and Excel <laughs> spreadsheets and they were just grueling on it. It wasn't any good. And we did, we planted it out of our apartment. We didn't know anybody. We just started meeting folks and had some folks who moved to the, moved to New York from places where we had mutual friends. And it was just, we just ended up with 13 people, counting my wife and I, in our little apartment there in the Upper East Side of Manhattan. So we're going to start a church. And uh, by God's grace, by the end of the summer of that first year, we had a church up and running. And, um, and yeah, you, when, you, when you are used by God as sort of like a midwife to give birth to this thing, um, your heart really does get, you know, tangled up into it. Uh, we, I would say this, the church, uh, was doing really well. We were growing. We had, um, two congregations and about to launch our third and, uh, you know, started in a little apartment and we're just seeing more and more people come to faith and really invested in the city doing some, our church was really engaged, serving the city really well, great partnerships in the city with other churches. And, uh, but man, uh, my, my, my wife and my, and my kids weren't, we had a third one when we were in New York right. and my wife and my two oldest kids just really had, just really having a hard time. They, mm-hmm. they didn't seem to be flourishing, uh, in the context of the city. And, you know, the city's not for everybody, mm-hmm. just like the country's not for everybody. Right. You know? Um, and there's nothing more spiritual about living in the city and nothing more spiritual than living in, in the country. You know, it's, um, God just made us all and wired us for different things. And I think uh, my wife did an, a, I mean, a heroic thing of just, you know, born and raised in Dallas. We sold everything, moved to New York. Mm. Uh, she'd only been there twice before we moved there. Wow. You know, trying to navigate a new city with a stroller. Um, it, it was just a different world for her. And she did great. And, and man, the Lord used her in some great ways. But the further our church got down the road and the further our kids got down uh, the road, I just sensed, man, this is not a good place for her right now. Mm-hmm. And so we, we took a sabbatical and uh, came to back to Dallas, spent some time with the Village Church. I don't know if you've heard, I don't know if you've heard of that place. I think uh, I might have, yeah. Spent some time with the Village Church with their elders and uh, went and saw a guy named John Henderson uh, who's just a brilliant guy. He's in Virginia pastoring a church now, but he's a biblical counselor and just tried to unpack, you know, eight and a half years of church planning with him. And at the end of that sabbatical, we felt like for the sake of, of my, of my, my family, um, just emotional health, um, some of the s- uh, social aspects my daughter was dealing with that, you know, the, the church is at a place where we could hand that off mm-hmm and be able to walk away from it. So, you know, I think every pastor should have some sort of cessation, succession plan or exit strategy. We had an eject button, man. It just got to the point where it was like, this, this is not, it's not a healthy place for my wife. And, 
and or my or my kids and you know i'm not going to have a ministry flourishing when my family doesn't yeah so we just kind of hit the eject button and we came back from sabbatical and spent the next three months trying to get ready to hand you know to i believe in shared leadership and we were sharing a lot of leadership as it was but just to hand all that off and step out of, out of the picture and where it gets hard is where you want to control the outcomes of your departure and you just can't do that you know and that's when you know maybe my maybe my sense of identity and value and worth and is wrapped up in this too much because if it doesn't succeed then i lose something you know right. um, it it has to continue for me to have some sort of legacy or remembrance here and you know the lord had to deal with me and say that look this isn't your church it's jesus's church and um he can he can triple the size of the church the day after you leave or he could close its doors the day after you leave it but that's not up to you hmm. so i think every pastor should do everything they can to set the next person up for success but they have to detach their sense of who they are from it quickly hmm. because they will if, if, if that church needs to succeed for the sense of their own worth and value, uh, they can become less, um, less of a cheerleader and more of a critic than, than, than's required. So I felt like my job was to cheer people on. And uh, when I left and I didn't do that great all the time. Uh, and sometimes I, by God's grace, I did. Um, so, but you're, you're spot on. You have to detach your, personhood as much as you can from from the works of your hands okay so the book you wrote glory hunger came out for when did that was that 14 15 2015 2015 okay um you you talk about in that book and i think it's applicable to what you're talking about and then i want to get to a question about pastors and burnout here in a little bit so i'm reversing the order of the questions i sent you just a bit but um what the glory of man so wanting remembrance in a city okay and i think that people will resonate with what you're talking about and they'll understand that personally they'll be able to personally apply that and figure that out about the praise of people is an addictive drug it just is and uh it's it's uh um in, in a lot of ways it's honorable because uh, it's it's quote unquote honorable because we're doing things for the, you know the, the lord this is the lord's work and we want to quickly defer hey praise god praise god praise god but we all wrestle internally and, and pastors know this well where you start to even become a, a man that wants to be known for uh, deferring glory, you know, where you want people to recognize that you're the, I want God to be glorified. Okay. You probably get what I'm talking about. So why is that the glory of man so appealing, particularly to pastors? Hmm. Well, I think in one sense, um, we're actually, you know, we could, we could really get, go hard on people about your, you know, your glory hunger. But really, when you look at, when you look at how creation unfolds, Adam and Eve have bestowed upon them a tremendous dignity and honor and actually glory. Psalm 8 says that God crowned humanity with glory and honor. So we're actually made to have a sense of glory about us, that sense of, of approval and esteem, that sense of rightness mm. and that, but where that all goes wrong is where we're wrong in the garden, um, was 
Adam wasn't content with the glory that God had bestowed upon him. So he reached for, for more. I want to be like God. And so, <clears throat> you know, the, the desire to be known and seen and valued and appreciated and affirmed and known is just innate to our, our sense of being human. Mm -hmm. We're created in God's image and we're created to enjoy the approval of God, the affirmation of God, the blessing of God, to have God honor us with his friendship. Uh, and all that was lost with, with sin. It was lost at the fall, and Jesus came to restore that back to us. Hmm. So I think uh, the, the challenge is when you start, um, you know, it says that the guys in John 12 that many believed in him, but because of fear of the Jews, they wouldn't confess him because they love the glory that came from men more than the glory that comes from God. Mm -hmm. So there's a glory that comes from God that we should want. We should seek, we should pursue to have him look upon us pleased. Um, that's ours in justification where he declares us right, mm -hmm. but it's also ours as we grow in sanctification and we are more and more of a delight to the Lord um, because we're, we're bearing more and more of his image and we're learning to please him is what Paul says. So right. we should long for glory but just the right kind of glory not the glory that comes from him but the glory that comes from god and when you are not resting in the glory that comes from god you will try to fill that ache with the glory that comes from man it just happened every time hmm. so you know i i would just i would tell people get like get a sense of your hunger for glory and direct it towards the right thing hmm. like i really want esteem and approval and i i want recognition I'm going to get that from the Lord and I'm yep. going to get in the secret place and I'm going to get that in service to him. And, uh, and I'm not going to try to get that from other people because if I try to get that from other people, uh, I'll be using them and not loving them. Yeah, that's good. That's really good. I'll need you to affirm and approve me. So I end up performing for you and then also wanting something from you instead of wanting something for you. Hmm. So. Yeah, that's good. So are some of those, things you're talking about are those lessons that you I mean you had to learn in transition in moving from something you saw God do so miraculously I mean are those things that you actually I mean experiential things that you had to work out work in that book or work out in that book and can guys you know expect in seasons of difficulty in ministry or, or you know leaving a church plant or leaving a city and moving to a new city uh, that God is going to bring that those sorts of things into, I mean, not just, these aren't just theoretical. I mean, this is very experiential stuff. I mean, uh, and was that personal for you? Was that, was that book something that was personally, uh, you know, the work of God in your life before it came out on through pen and paper? Yeah. So I would say my whole life, your whole life, yeah. you know, um, you know, when a little boy runs and says, daddy, aren't I fast? That's mm. a kid who's just hungry to have affirmation and approval. He doesn't really want a commentary on his foot speed. He just wants someone to go, you are amazing. Yeah. So I've dealt with this since I was a kid. I'll give you an example. Um, when I first started preaching, I was a freshman in college and um, the church that I'm pastoring now, they would bring me in to speak to the students and I'd come and I'd preach and, and no one respond. And I was preaching what I thought were, hey, these are, these are okay messages. Why aren't people responding? And then the youth pastor's like, hey, do you have any other friends at Dallas Baptist that can preach? You know, bring them in. And so brought in a friend, and he preached the most simple, basic gospel presentation. Like 11 kids get saved. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm like just 
weeping and he brings me up. He's like, man, this guy loves you. He's just weeping and crying because he loves to see God's work. And that was true, but it was also true that I was weeping because I was kind of mad that like, why doesn't God use me? Like, so it's like, I want God uh, to do a great work. I just want him to, I want everyone to know he did it through me. Yeah. I want to be, I want to be the best. So yeah, I struggle with that. I mean, we all struggle with that in ministry and it's like a, but I think God has to take you through some really painful things to kind of kick that out of you, you know? Yeah. Um, And, and he has to let you fail and he has to let you, um, he has to let you see your own sin in that way. And so, you know, being in New York, just fed, you know, you're just around it, man. You're around, I mean, everyone there is at the top of the game and it's like, I mean, it is a, it is a high achievement culture. Yeah. You know, people come into your church that, you know, you get to know them and find out what they do. And you're like, my goodness, this person is brilliant and sought after and they're coming and I'm supposed to speak to them in a way that is engaging. And I mean, you feel like I have to hit a home run every time I preach and you start to get this. I mean, it's just, it's, it's exhausting. And if you can't die to that early on, and really, really be content with the approval and acceptance and favor of God, and then desperately long for His glory above all things. Yeah. But then you get free from you. You know, we tell our folks all the time: when the opinion of the one who matters most matters most to you, that's when you get free from being a slave to everyone else's opinion. Yeah. And so I can be content with the yes of God, the approval of God, the verdict of God over my life. I don't have to live my life in the court of human opinion desperately pleading for a positive verdict from you or from anyone else. It's like what Paul said. I don't care if I'm judged by you or any of the human court. I have one judge. His name is the Lord. And so you, you know, you have to get there. If you don't get there, you can't say hard things that need to be said because you don't want to upset anyone or offend anybody. That's especially true in a city like New York. Mm. Um, And so you, and you'll always be afraid of saying something wrong you'll nuance things to death so that you drain them of any power just because you're living under the fear of man. Yeah. I remember a couple of years ago I was preaching Luke nine and what ran across the passage about, you know, Jesus saying, if anyone is ashamed of me and my words, I'll be ashamed of him before my heavenly father. And, and uh, man, we love our church. We love the doctrine of justification, imputed righteousness. We love the, the fact that we're justified before the Lord. And that passage really jolted me because it, it, it told me that I don't have the liberty to be ashamed about Jesus' word and anything about God's word. I can't embarrass, tiptoe, be ashamed, stutter. Uh, I, I just, I'm not allowed to be embarrassed. And I think with, with this ministry, working with pastors, one of the things that I'm learning is that I get a language for something um, about pastoral ministry or get a handle on a text uh, of scripture. And it's just like with sanctification where we know what we're to do. I know that I'm, I want to be a man that's freed up to give glory to God not and, and not, Uh, live for the glory that comes from man. But it's after you get handles, then becomes the everyday practice of this at a heart level of growing to being that kind of man who lives for the glory of God, not the glory of man. But there is a level of freedom. Use the word freedom there. And I think that there's for, for pastors, there is freedom there for you as a man, for you just as a man before the Lord. Um, I think it was, uh, uh, who was it that said that I am a man is who he is on the, on his knees before the Lord, nothing more, nothing less. Um, It'll come to me when we're done with this podcast. Is it Andrew Murray? No, it wasn't Andrew Murray. It was, uh, um, it was Andrew Bonar was his friend. Uh, uh, Robert Murray Mache. It was okay. Mache. Yeah. yeah, yeah. 
and uh, said that. And there's a freedom there. But I think what you know what you're saying here is for for a pastor as a man and and with his work, there's freedom that comes from. I want to live for you, Lord. I want to wake up in the morning. I want to honor you and all that I do as my heavenly Father. And if people are upset by that, that's not going to determine my day, and it's not going to determine my joy. And it, it's the part of getting there and living that out that can be, um, you know, I mean, it's a lifelong process, as you said. Yeah, yeah. And the you know the the thing is, if you really do live for the glory of God, and you really do pursue excellence for the sake of His name, whether you're in banking or whether you're a farmer or whether you're a teacher or whether you're a lawyer, whatever you do, or a pastor. Um, the proverb says, do you see a man who's skilled at his job? He will not, he, he will, he will not be an obscure man. He will stand before Kings. This idea that if I will just give myself to excellence, God will, God will in his timing, uh, give me a platform to do that thing with excellence in a way that would benefit others and honor him most. And so it's when you start pursuing the platform mm. instead of actually trying to add value to people's, you know, to this world and to people's lives. Mm-hmm. I, I was, this is off topic, but I was, I was thinking about these YouTube guys that just like make so much money. And I had that thought cross my mind. What, what could I do that to monetize YouTube? I'm like, just racking my brain thinking like these guys. And then I realized that, what a dumb question. The question is, how do I add value to people's lives? Yeah. How do I add value to people's lives? And honor God by seeking to bless those made in his image. Hmm. And if you'll do that and not worry about anything else, uh, the Lord says that you'll, you'll, you'll do that before Kings. In other words, you'll, you'll, he'll give you a platform to do things that you're seeking to do with excellence for his glory and for his honor. And that's not a statement about the, the, the size of the platform, mm-hmm. but the significance of it, you know, and we confuse those two things all the time, but yeah, just seek to, add value to people's lives mm-hmm. through excellence and love, regardless of what you're doing, the Lord's going to honor it. Yeah, that's good. Okay. So I know a lot of, I mean, personally I do, I know a lot of health, what I would describe as healthy pastors. Uh, but I also know a lot of men that would self-describe their life as unhealthy and they would do it to, they would tell me that personally, they wouldn't publicly confess that, but they would privately say, man, I'm, I, my life's a wreck. I know two pastors in my life that have finished well by the criteria that I I've kind of put together criteria. If, if you love Jesus, if you get to formal retirement age and you love Jesus and you more importantly, you know, you're loved by Jesus. And if you and your wife still like each other, you know, second piece, if that marriage, if you guys still enjoy one another, and third, if your kids respect you, you can't determine your kid's salvation, but if your kids respect you and you've got a great relationship with your kids, that's, wonderful. And then if you've not had any hidden moral failure, a man can still finish well. If he's had a moral failure, he's confessed, repented of, and been restored from. But if you get to the end of ministry, you know, again, for end, end of ministry, and you've had these, you have a, a you know, all these things that have been unconfessed over the years, you're just going to gnaw at you if you're truly the Lord. I mean, if you're the Lord's. And then if you're still making disciples, these five criteria, like you still love the church and you're not bitter at the church, you're still making disciples. And here's the thing, JR, I know one pastor currently that has, he's a mentor of mine, he's in his 60s, and this is anecdotal, regional. I know one pastor, and I've got my eye on another one that is nearing retirement age, who is doing well, 
but I don't know any others. I know a lot of younger guys that seem to be very healthy, but I just don't know men, very many men that are older that have, that are well. Why is it you've worked with pastors so many, I mean, so much over the years. Why is it that, that this work, I mean, you get guys that work construction with a broken back and they're still in construction that they're 60 years old and they're still at it, you know, and they've not quit. Why is it that so many pastors burn out? I, I don't have excellent answers to this, but I have a few that come to mind. Okay. So one, and they're real simple, but one is, man, you just have to be vigilant in your enjoyment of Jesus. You just have to seek the Lord. Like there has to be a no compromise time and place in your life every day that you get before the Lord, you open up the word, you listen to the voice of God, you respond with prayer and confession and you bless the Lord and you honor him and you try to cultivate a life of prayer. Like I, I don't know many men who've cultivated a life of prayer who don't finish well. Mm. So, and it's, it's one thing to pray. It's another thing to cultivate a life of prayer. Those are two different things. And so I think that's one. It's just, we tell our folks at Church of the Cross all the time, if you're a believer in Jesus, you need to read the Bible and pray every day. That's not legalism. That's discipleship. That's, that's so just good. getting yourself before the Lord and enjoying his presence and pouring your heart out to him, receiving from him. So that's a, that's first. And that's just training wheels, man. That's so important for us to do. Two, I, I am a, I'm a huge believer in a, in a, shared leadership um in the church and i'm not even talking about like i think there's a difference between i've got a plurality of elders mm -hmm. and we experience shared leadership okay so i know a lot of churches that have a plurality of elders and all those elders do is meet once a month to go over numbers and tell the pastor yeah keep doing what you're doing right uh, and that pastor is making most of the decisions it's like a, it's still a single pastor model but his decisions are just rubber stamped by a group of men. So I think that's just, I think that's so unhealthy. I think it's too much pressure on a person. I think when, if the thing about single pastor models is like, you know, you, you feel the freedom to get to do whatever you want to do, but you also have to carry the load of decisions and people's mm -hmm. struggles and trials. And so here at church, of the cross, we have an elder team and we share in ministry together uh, each of those, each of those elders, they do member interviews, they do pastoral counseling, they do crisis intervention, they do hospital visitation. They are all involved in teaching in one way or the other. And then on top of that, we have a smaller executive elder team. It's me and three other guys. And man, we make major decisions together. So it's not me like making a decision and come in voicing it to a team, right? It's us sitting down and trying to each of us getting a pulse for the church and, and loving each other and doing life together and talking about our struggles. I mean, I, I, I texted him the other day and I just said, guys, I gotta be honest with you. I sometimes don't feel like the Lord's winning and I'm really discouraged. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, those guys just, man, they hear that. And they're like, dude, we, we hear you. Uh, the Lord's winning, you know, this let's just, yeah. and so I think that shared leadership where you bear your souls to one another, you don't, you know, I, I really believe I don't have to be the smartest guy in the room. 
I don't have to be the wisest guy in the room. I don't have to be the most gifted guy in the room. Uh, I don't need to be the most congratulated guy in the room. Uh, in fact, I feel like I'm really winning if other people in the room are getting credit and getting acknowledged and being heard. And there's some, some pastors like, you would give up that much control? And I would say, no, I would enjoy that much freedom. That's um, man, that whole idea of shared leadership. Now, we still have a first among equals. There's times where, you know, it feels like much of the time I'm bringing the rough drafts to the table. But, man, I, I can get shot down. Um, I can have guys look at me and go, that's not a good idea. Mm-hmm. Um, I can have guys, I've got an elder who, I, if I got an issue and I'm trying to, I don't know what to do here, Taylor, I'll call my friend Taylor and just say, can you just listen to me for a little bit? I'm having a struggle in this area of my life or this area of my life. And so I think there's a lot of pastors who are single pastor model who live in secrecy, yeah. who never yeah. bear their souls, don't have real friendships. Mm-hmm. Um, and listen, I, here's another thing I don't understand. People will tell me, hey, um, who, who are the guys outside your church that like, you know, are your, are your guys that you really spend time with and get refueled by? And I'm like, I don't. I, yeah. Those guys are in my church. That's so those good. Those guys are on my elder team. Yeah. If I yeah. don't have guys like that on my elder team, I don't have an elder team. You know? You're exactly right. Mm-hmm. Man, if I have to go outside my church to get my soul nourished, that's mm-hmm. a reflection on my lack of ability to develop men. Yeah, it is. The capacity to nourish the soul of another. And what it models at the local level is, is width over depth. And when you can't have deep relationships to model in a local church, and even at the risk of people saying, why are you hanging out? I mean, that just looks like you're hanging out with the elders. And, and you know, personally, well, that's, I'm trying to model that. I, want, I don't want to have to go out and, and have, you know, pastors groups can be great. But my goodness, one of the things that we, we really try to help guys with is saying, hey, you have to have friends at your church. I mean, that's your elder team. Ha- you can't have real accountability if you don't have real friendship. You can have fake accountability. You can have a quote unquote accountability group and you can put in a form once a month. But you can't have real, real accountability except in the context of real friendship. Yeah. Yeah. And if you, the lead pastor, don't have it, your church won't have it. I mean, nope. you're, you're exactly right. Your staff won't have it. Your elders won't have it. And, you know, we talk about our core values around here. We want to embrace them. We want to embody them. And then we want to export them into the hearts of other people. And I think there's a lot of people that embrace things. They're like, yeah, I affirm that, but they don't embody it. They don't go. And I live that out. So we can, you know, we can embrace a community and accountability and shared leadership and all this, but you have to embody it because if you never embody it, you don't export it. And so man, you're right on. Yeah. It's good stuff. All right. I set everybody up to just honor the Lord at the end of each interview. So J.R. Vassar, why is it that you love Jesus and why is it that you're committed to him and seeing other people know him and follow him? Why do you love Jesus so much? Man, I'll give you two words. Uh, Excellence. He is just excellent. He's excellent in his person. He's excellent in his attributes. He's excellent, excellent in all his actions and all his activities. He rules and reigns with excellence. He just doesn't do anything shoddy. He's light and there's no darkness in him. So he's excellent. So for his excellence and for his endurance, how he continues to put up with me and how he continues to bear with his church 
and love his bride and stay faithful to her um, when she is so faithless. He is so enduring in his love and faithfulness to his people. And so I know I just had times in my life where my heart was cold towards him and his heart never grew cold towards me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So those two words, <laughs> I would say, man, his excellence and his endurance. That is so good. And uh, you, you know, when people respond in the different ways they respond, I've not heard excellence and endurance, but as you describe that, it's just, it gets me giddy thinking about it. I mean, he's excellent in all he does and he endures with love. I mean, he yeah. loves us and not just, he doesn't just put up with us. I mean, that's amazing. Well, this has been a lot of fun, JR, and I'm so thankful that you took the time to do this. And I really think our listeners are going to be encouraged. And uh, now if they want to listen to more from you, if they want to find your podcasts or um, your book, tell us where they can find the book and then tell us about your church so they can Google it and find your podcast and stuff. Yeah. So church at the cross.com got to get that preposition, right? We're not church on the cross. Uh, we're not church by the cross. We are church at the cross, C A T C church of the cross.com. Um, and you know, our podcasts are on iTunes and Google play and uh, Spotify and all that. Uh, and then you could probably find my book at some used bookstore, um, <laughs> some discounted, uh, no, you can get it at Amazon, um, either on Kindle or, you know, regular print. Um, I'll just say this, the six people that have read the book uh, have been very encouraging about it. So uh, good. yeah, thank you. That's good. And then we'll release for all you listeners out there. We'll release after this, like a special edition where we get JR singing some Carmen. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes. All right. Well, man, thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit the shepherdscrook.co. For care and counsel, please call, text, or email to set up a session. You can follow The Shepherd's Crook on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And please consider sharing this episode and leaving a review on iTunes or whatever other podcast platform you use. And let me encourage you to remember Jesus Christ.